going to go ahead and jump on into the message where we've been entitled, our series has been titled Courage, um, and I've really enjoyed bringing this message to you. I really felt like at the beginning of this, this was a very important uh, thing as we started the year, as we began um, with, with what God has been placing on my heart um, was the concept of courage, what we're going to need to get through this year, what, what we're going to be needing to, to, to really tap into as a family and as a church and as a, as a group of believers is this idea of courage. And so I've enjoyed sharing that with you. Before we jump in, I want to pray real quick. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time, for this opportunity to be together and be with you. Father, I pray that you would just speak through me in this message, that you would just, your words would be what exits my mouth. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I, I have to, as we kind of get started here, I have to admit something that I'm not really proud of. I'm not really excited to admit, but um, confession is good for the soul. So I'm going to share this with you because this has been something that's become very difficult for me to, to accept. And, and I'm trying to be brave and trying to be courageous and share it with you. So here we go. Um, one of the things that if you know me at all, I have kind of a weird brain. And what I mean by that is I tend to remember things that don't really matter all that much. And they kind of stick, you know, like facts and dates and, 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 and baseball statistics, you know, things that just don't really matter in the whole scheme of life. And so I've always had a pretty good memory. And, and it's been kind of cool to watch my son because I don't know if for sure, but it seems like he's kind of got some of those traits as well. So he starts to remember. But I've, I've noticed something that's happened in the last couple of years. And that is this, this memory that I've always been so proud of, this memory that I can like, you know, pull a fact out and you know, all these things. I, I've noticed it, it hasn't been quite as sharp as it used to be. And this is how I've discovered it. I have gotten all my stuff together. I'm ready to come into church, ready to come into work. I got my computer. I got my water. I got, maybe I got lunch. I got all these things. I get in the car. I sit down and I realize something. I don't have my keys. So I have to get out of the car and go back in the house and get my keys. Or another time it was, it was a Sunday morning and we, we got in the car and M was ready and she's in the car and Easton's in the car. We're all packed up. We're ready to go to church. We start heading down the road and I put my hand up on the steering wheel and I realize something. Something is missing. That. I forgot my wedding ring. And I look at Emily and I'm like, hey, we need to do something that I hate to do. I'll just be honest, I hate to do it. She goes, what? I said, we have to turn around. We've got to go back and we've got to get the thing that I forgot. We have to be willing to do that. Or maybe, maybe if you had this situation where you say, hey, 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 sweetheart, guy or gal, depending on, on who's going to the store, hey, I'm going to go to, the, to King Supers. I'm going to grab a couple things. Do we need anything? And, and your husband or wife says, oh, I know, I think we're good. I think, you know, just, just you know, the normal stuff, the stuff you know. And so you go and you get in there and you get all your stuff and you're walking to the car and the phone rings or the text goes. And you don't want to check it because you know who it is. And you pick it up and you look at it. And, you, and it always says this, if you haven't left yet, could you also pick up this? And in those moments, you have a decision to make. It's either, do I just continue? No, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm already, you know, heading back. I'm already, or do you, do you stop and turn around and go back into the store and get that item that you need. You see, the thing is, whether we understand it or not, it takes courage to turn around. It takes courage to be willing to turn around and go back and get what you need or do what you need to do. It takes courage. And the thing is, that's not something usually we, we equate with courage. That's not usually something we understand as courage. But the thing is, in a spiritual sense, it takes courage to do that. It takes courage. Now, we're going to look in Luke 2. I love this story in Luke 2 because this is one of those stories that makes me feel better as a parent. Okay? This is one of those stories that I, I go, okay, maybe I'm doing an okay job as a parent. And so if you're a parent this morning, this, this will hopefully help you feel a little bit better. But we're going to look at a story in Luke 2. Some of you have heard it before, but it's an important story as, as we look at our message this morning. So we're going to start in Luke 2, starting with verse number 41. And this is what it says. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. 
When Jesus was 12, year old, or 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So let me kind of give you the ballpark or the setting. Basically, every year, Jesus' parents would go to the Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Now, here's what's interesting as I see this scripture. What I'm seeing is something interesting because it seems like, and I think it's real easy to see this, this is very routine for them. This is just what they did. As you see, it says, hey, it, it, this is just what they did. It's very unusual. Uh, it's very normal. It's very simple. It's just, just what they did every year is they would go and do this. But let's continue on with the story with verse number 43. This is what it says. After the celebration was over, after church service basically was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Okay, so they're packing up, they're getting ready to head home, and they start on their way, and Jesus doesn't go. He stays in Jerusalem, okay? I don't know if you, around Christmas time, enjoy Christmas movies. I don't know if you're, you watch them only at Christmas or other times, but, but one of the things that we showed my son for the first time this year was the movie Home Alone, Okay? I love that Christmas movie. And this is, this is you know, Home Alone was a ripoff of this story, basically. So they leave Jesus in Jerusalem, okay? Now again, any parent feeling a little better about their parenting skills right now? Unless you're basically, actually, we, we did leave our child someplace. I always get a kick out of those stories. So far, we have not left Easton anywhere. We've messed up in other areas, but at least we've always been able to remember to bring him with us. So... Let's continue on with the second part of chapter 40, or verse 43. It says, his parents didn't miss him at first. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch, you know. I mean, I, I mean listen, eternity is going to be wonderful, and we're going to laugh and joke. I cannot wait to see Mary and Joseph and tease them on this one. So, good to see you. You know, Mary and Joseph, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't even notice. Yeah, son of God. Good job. Nicely done. You know, you forgot him. You know, and they'll probably say, well, you know, you did this to Easton, and I'll go, yeah, you're right, we're, you know, we're even, and we'll, feel, we'll laugh, and hopefully, you know, go on. But they forget him. They don't even notice he's gone, because they assumed he was among the other travelers. He is, they assumed, okay? But when he didn't show up that evening, now, isn't it, I love that, when, you know, what, 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 is, what is happening in the evening time, okay? It's time to eat, okay? It's time to eat. And Jesus doesn't show up when it's dinner time. That is, a, that is a good sign when it comes to teenagers and other children. If your children are not around when it's time to eat, there may be a problem. They may not be near, okay? So they go, wait a minute, he's not there. They started looking for him among their relatives and friends, okay? So they, they're looking now. They're, wait a minute, where is Jesus? Where is, I mean, can you imagine, you know, listen, you got to put humanity on these people sometimes, Okay, you got to remember, listen, this is Luke 2. What happens in Luke 2? This is the birth of Jesus. What happens basically in Luke 1? It's, it's, it's where the angel Gabriel shows up to Mary and says, you are going to have the Son of God. Can you imagine as Mary is frantically looking for Jesus, that story is rolling around in her head. Oh my goodness, we've lost him. What are we going to do? This is, Gabriel, is the angel going to come back and go, seriously, you lost him. Good job. Nicely done. They're looking. They don't know where he is. Now, this is important. Look at verse 45. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. They go back. They turn around. Now, I want to stop here for just a second and ask you a question. Because I think it's important that we have an honest conversation with ourselves today. Okay? Listen, as we go through this, if, you, if you're not willing to have an open, honest conversation between your heart and God's heart, you're going to miss what God wants to do in your heart today. Okay? So we got to be open. we got to be honest. But I want to ask you a simple question. Because sometimes we have a situation where we realize, oh my goodness, Jesus isn't there. Now... Let me explain this before we'll get, we're going to get into this. I'm not saying that Jesus has left you. Jesus will never leave you. But I think you'll understand when I say this. There have been times where in my married life I have done silly, stupid things. And although my wife and I are close to each other, meaning our presence is close to each other, 
we can be very, very far apart. We can be in the same room. And yet, even though we're present, there's a distance there. As we talk about these things, I'm not talking about Jesus leaving you. Jesus will never leave you. Jesus said he will always be there. But there is a difference between just being presently close to someone and yet being far from their heart. And so in this question, I have to ask you, will you be willing, if that happens, if you realize that, to turn around and go find Jesus? Because a lot of people, unfortunately, they just keep going towards Nazareth. They just say, you know what? I'm just going to keep moving. I'm just going to keep plowing through. Jesus somehow will find me. But they didn't. They turned around. Now look in Luke 42, verse 46. Let's continue it. Three days later. Let's stop for a second for all the parents. Three days later. Okay? Three days later. They finally discover him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Now listen, this is what they say. Son, his mother said to him, why have, I'm going to put a little emphasis here, why have you done this to us? Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Who left who? Who forgot who? Who went for a couple days and, and just made assumptions that Jesus was around? But what's their response? Their response is kind of honestly, what our response sometimes is parents is we blame our kids. They're blaming Jesus. Why have you done this? What did you do to us? And, and this is why he said, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. They blame Jesus. Why have you done this? Let's continue and finish the story. Luke 2, 49 and 50. And this is what Jesus' response is. But why did you need to search? Why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Other translations that we use sometimes say, didn't you know I had to be at my father's business? It says, but they didn't understand what he meant. They finally find him. And he's, he's kind of like, what? Why was this so hard? I was where I was supposed to be the entire time. He kind of turns it on its head because they kind of look at him and say, why did you do this to us? And Jesus says, why, what do you mean? What did I do? I was where I was supposed to be the entire time. You should have known where I would be. And they just don't even understand. They don't even understand. And it's something that I think as, as followers of Christ today, we can't be like Mary and Joseph. We need to understand this concept. Because we most all of us are going to find ourselves some point in time in our journey with Jesus in that very spot. And we don't want to not understand. Listen, this is in your notes, and I want us to understand this. If you and God today are not close, just know he wasn't the one that moved. Jesus was in Jerusalem the entire time. He was where he knew he was supposed to be the entire time. It wasn't that Jesus moved, it was that others moved from him. Now again, I'm not saying that, that this is a situation where Jesus leaves you or goes someplace else. But again, I know you know what I mean when you can be in the same room and still be distant from someone. We all go through this at times. We all find ourselves in that moment. And when we do, we have to figure out what do we do? Jesus knew we'd be here. Jesus understood that because he deals with this even in the book of Revelation. When he writes to the churches there, he talks about this mindset and what we need to understand and do. Look at with me in Revelation 2, 4 through 5. As he's writing, John is writing to the church in Ephesus. This is what Jesus told him to write. He says, this is Jesus speaking, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other. As you did it first, look how far you have fallen. And look what he says. 
turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Turn back to me. Don't keep going on. Don't think everything's fine. Be willing to stop. You turn it around and go back. And that takes some guts sometimes. And that takes some courage sometimes. Another verse, Revelation 3, 3, to the church in Sardis. This is what he says. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me Again, repentance is literally the concept or the idea of turning around and going the other way. But it takes courage to do that. Listen, I have some simple questions for you this morning that you need to answer honestly. Between you and God, not between me, you, and God, but between you and God. Listen, listen it takes courage to admit that you're not as close to Jesus as you used to be. It takes courage to admit that you're not on fire like you used to be. It takes courage to admit that maybe you're not hearing God's voice as clearly as you used to. And you know what? That's sometimes not a fun moment in our lives to have. Sometimes that's not a good moment where we realize that. But you know what? We've got to be willing in that moment to stop, turn, and go back to him. You see what's great about this? And we'll get into this a little bit more in a minute. But this concept that Jesus is calling you back to him. He's inviting you to come home. He's not hiding from you. He's not sitting there tapping his foot going, I can't believe that you allowed your spiritual life to kind of go that direction. No, he's saying, come here, turn around, come back to me. Come, come find those things that you were before. Come love me like you used to. Come love others like you used to. And here's what's great about this. Jesus isn't inviting us so that we'll fail in that. He's inviting us because he knows when we turn and go back to him, he will empower us to do the things he's called us to do. Sometimes we'll sit there and go, why am I not being used by God? Why am I not doing this? Why aren't I seeing these things? Why does God sometimes feel so far away? Listen, Jesus hasn't moved. But sometimes we tend to drift away. And it's one of those things where when we realize it, when we sense it, when we know it in our hearts, we have a choice to make. We've got to turn around, and that takes some courage. That takes some courage. So let's look at this. Only two points this, this morning. When we are headed in the wrong direction, we must have the courage to turn around and go towards God. Turn around and go towards God. This morning, we're going to break down a verse that I know many of you have heard before. It's very popular. It's been very, very popular, honestly, even more so than I've ever seen it in the last year. And it's one we all know, but it's one that we need to look at because in this understanding, we, in this verse, we really begin to see this concept of what we need to do if we're headed the wrong way. And look, you may go, well, we'll get that out in a minute, but let's look at this together. 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, Then, if my people... Okay, now let's... This isn't necessarily in your notes, but let's, let's remember that for a second, okay? This verse is specifically for a group of people. It's for God's people, okay? This is, this is not looking at the world and looking at others and going, boy, they're really screwing this up. And this is looking at ourselves. This is speaking to the church. This is speaking to those followers of Jesus, okay? So this is for us today. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their 
land. This is one of those verses that I fear. Unfortunately, we've heard so much that we've missed what it's really trying to communicate to us because there is some deep, deep things. This is one of those verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, and one of those verses like, honestly, John 3, 16, where we've heard them so much that we've almost become numb to them. And we can't allow that to happen. There's a, there's a reason why these verses are popular. It's because they share some truth with us that we need to understand today. So we're going to break this down. There's three parts in this verse that we need to understand today. And I use the word today on purpose. Because look, we could go through, you know, you want a series on, on this verse? We can do it. There's a lot here. But I feel like these are things that we need to understand today for us as a church, us as a family, us as individuals. So here we go. Number one we need to have we have to have the courage to turn to prayer and worship the courage to turn to prayer and worship okay you go well, well shouldn't we be doing that you know normally yeah yeah we should so for some reason we've missed this for some reason, listen, you got to understand this as you look at the verse second chronicles we want to we want to change the order we don't want to pray first. We don't want to humble ourselves first. We don't want to turn, we'll get to this one in a minute, turn to our wicked ways first. We want the blessings and the restoration and the healing first. But that's not the verse. The verse says when we will do these things, then God will do these things. If you look, there's an if and then there's a then. And we want to change the if and the then, but it doesn't work that way. God is calling us to be people of prayer and people of worship. Why? Because prayer and worship, those are weapons that we have. They are powerful tools that God uses in us and through us to do some amazing things. Let's look at Acts 16. Uh, this is my son's favorite story. He loves this story. But let's look at it together. Acts 16, starting with verse 22 through 24. It says, a mob formed quickly against Paul and Silas. Okay? And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. What's going on? Just to make it really simple, really quick, okay? Paul and Silas, God uses them to do an amazing thing, and the city has a fit for reasons it's not important for today. And so they are beaten with rods. Beaten. And then they're thrown in an inner dungeon. They haven't done anything wrong, guys. They did exactly what God's called them to do. And they're beaten, and they're thrown in prison, and they're thrown in the inner dungeon, and they're, in, they're, they're not comfortable. This isn't a fun moment for them. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 25. Listen to what they do. And listen, hear me, hear me. I, I know some of you know this story, but don't miss this. Okay? Hear what the word of God is trying to get us to see today. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And this is important. Look at verse, the end of verse 25. Okay? We, see, we miss this sometimes. And the other prisoners... We're listening. The other prisoners were listening. So what do you have here? Let's stop and let's break this down. You have two men who have been beaten. They have been put in the inner dungeon of the jail. Everybody knows in that prison what is going on, because word travels fast. They know, hey, these guys, they must have done something bad. They've been beaten. They're, they're walked through the prison type of thing. I mean, you, know, you just got to know how this works. They're put in there, and there around midnight, with all this stuff, they start praying and worshiping. And they're doing it verbally. We had messages about this, about the power of our words. Listen, I'm not saying that there's not times to, to pray quietly in your spirit, but I will also say this. There are times to open your mouth 
why. God isn't deaf. I understand that. But here's why sometimes. There might be other prisoners that are listening. There might be other prisoners that need to see and hear your prayers and your worship and your faith and your hope. It's not always about you in that moment. And so as this is going on, other prisoners are listening. Okay, let's go on with verse number 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of Paul and Silas, what's it say? Paul and Silas, right? It's got to be Paul and Silas because they were the ones that were praying and worshiping. And God would only do that for them, right? No. Every prisoner's fell off. Can you hear me here and hear my heart? There's a lot of us that get angry at God in this church and in this community and in our country because they're sitting there and they're saying, I want an earthquake. I want an earthquake. I want things to be shaken. But those same people won't spend the time in prayer and worship to see the earthquake come to fruition. They'll sit there and say, I want prisoners to be set free. I want my own life to be set free. But they won't do the things sometimes that God says to do. Why, why is this important for us today? Why do we need to understand it? Because you know what? It takes courage sometimes in those hard situations to say, you know what? I am going to get on my knees. I am going to call out to my Father. I am going to worship Him and adore Him. Doesn't matter what the situation is. Doesn't matter what the circumstances is. And here's what's great. Because of the power that is in worship and the power that is in prayer, I believe that when we do that, things will be shaken. Earthquakes will take place and prisoners will be set free. Not if, not maybe, will be set free. But if God's people who are called by His name, refuse to humble themselves and pray and worship. The jail will remain a jail. Because here's what happens in this story, and you can look at it throughout Acts 16, that, that jail, that jail becomes a church. And people are saved. Awesome things happen. Why? Because two men said, I am not going to allow my circumstances or the situation I find myself in. I'm not going to have a pity party. I'm not going to worry about these things. I am going to use the weapons and the tools that God has given me to make a difference in my situation. And everything changed. But that takes courage. It takes courage. It takes courage sometimes to be willing to open our mouths and pray and worship. You know what I was talking, talking about talking to Mary and, and Joseph? I want to talk to Paul and Silas too. You know what I want to know? I want to know what song they sang. Not that a song is special necessarily, but I'm just curious. What song did they sing? Knowing God sometimes and how he works, it may have been perfect. I mean, you know, maybe they had a song about an earthquake or a shaking, and that's exactly what God did. But we've got to have that same kind of courage to do that. Number two, we have to have the courage to turn from our sin. We have to have the courage. Listen, you can't turn around in a lot of ways if there isn't a level of repentance. Okay? It has to be that. Listen, and in the context of this verse, I believe there are two areas we need to focus in on today. Okay? So let's look at these two things. Number one, we need to repent from personal sin. Okay? Personal sin. Listen, it needs to always start by who looks, who looks back at you in the mirror. It is so easy to look at everybody else and see everything. Oh boy, you know, this person's not doing this and this person's not doing that. Listen, I know that's easy. And you know what? Sometimes that makes us feel kind of good about ourselves, but that can't be where we begin. It has to begin with the mirror. It has to begin with us looking deep inside of us to understand that. Look at James 5, 15. This is what it says. And if you have committed any sins... You will be forgiven. Isn't that a wonderful promise? But let's continue. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be 
healed. Now I want you to listen to this, because I, as I was looking at this this week, I felt like God spoke to me very clearly. Okay? Listen. When we confess our sins to Jesus, we're forgiven. And that's awesome. Okay? But when we confess our sins to each other, we can get healing. Some of us are walking around and we need healing. And sometimes to bring that about, we've got to be willing and brave and courageous to confess those sins to each other. And I'm not saying just to anybody. You, you know what I mean. But we've got to be willing to repent from those things. We've got to look deep in our hearts and go, you know what, Father, is there anything in me that I need to get out? Is there anything in me that I need to repent of? Because that's the first step in returning in a lot of ways. But listen, I believe there's also something a little deeper here that we need to talk about. Not only do we need to repent from personal sin, we need to repent from national sin. National sin. You know, I, I've had people come to me and, and, and they, they've asked me, you know, um, why don't you talk more about political things and issues and things like that? And, and, and honestly, I'm a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a politician. Um, but at the same time, our world and our country is really headed down a very dark path. And this, listen, hear me here. This has nothing to do with political parties. It has nothing to do with who's in the White House. This has everything to do with the people that put them there, one way or the other. Our country needs to repent. And, and here's the thing. Listen and hear me in this. Because you may go, well, well what, does that, what does that mean? How does that look? When you look at the history of Israel, there was always a remnant. Okay? There was always a group of people that continued to follow God even though the nation didn't. But listen, those same people were still brought into judgment by God because of the sin of the nation. Yes, you have to focus first. The reason why I put personal sin first and national sin second is because that's the order. Unfortunately, there's some people listen and hear me here. They want to focus on the national sin without dealing with their personal sin. So we got to get the order right. But our world and our country is moving in a way that we are headed towards destruction and wickedness. Now, here's what's great. Here's what's awesome. If my people will turn. God's going to do something. But I want you to see this verse with me in Deuteronomy 30. Because I do believe it is not too late. I do believe there is, there is a group of people who are starting to understand this. But we need to see this verse because you need to understand. Now, in Deuteronomy 30, you need to understand the context. Okay, Moses is getting ready to basically die. And he calls not the pastors, not the leaders. He calls the entire congregation or the entire country of Israel to come to him. This is a national address. Okay? This is a national address. Look what he tells them. Listen what we have here before us. Deuteronomy 30, verse number 19 and 20. Today, today, I have given you the choice between life and death between blessings and curses. Now, I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Listen to what it says. You can make this choice. How do we do this as individuals? How do we do this as a country? How do we turn from this situation? You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. If you have a Bible that's paper, and you have ink, and you do this, circle those words. This is the key 
to your life. If you have electronic, highlight it. Get that to understand. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a promise we have. But we have a choice to make. We can choose life or we can choose death. And it starts with us as individuals, but it's also a national choice. This was given to the nation of Israel. And when, when we as God's people turn, healing takes place. Blessing takes place. Life takes place. But we have to be willing as a nation to repent from our sin. The final one, number three. We have to have the courage to believe that God will turn to us. We have to have the courage to believe that God will turn to us. Because you know what? I, I, know, I know in my own life I've, I've done this. I don't know if I've ever met anybody that hasn't done this in one way, shape, or form uh, you know, and, and at some point in their lives where there's this concept of, you know now, okay, I need to turn. I'm not where I need to be. I need to turn back to God and let God do that in my heart and in my life. I need to do that. But we have this fear and this thought that if I do, that God will be waiting for me with his hand up saying, I don't think so. You've messed up too much. You, you, you did too many bad things. And, and I'm not even talking about people that turn to God for the first time. Because I've, I've dealt with that too. I'm talking about people, believers, who have realized over time, they've, they, they, they've admitted, you know what, I'm not where I need to be. You know, I left Jerusalem and Jesus is still there. And I'm someplace else and I need to go back. And there's that thought, mm, is he going to welcome me home? Is he going to allow me to come? And that fear keeps us stagnant and keeps us from moving back to him. But let me, let me encourage you this morning. Look at James 4.8. Look at the promise that we have. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. We have a promise when we come close, God will come close. It doesn't say, as long as you haven't done this, or as long as you haven't sinned in this area 450 times, it simply says, if we'll turn and go to God, God will welcome us back home. 1 John 1, 9, beautiful verse. But if we confess our sins to him, he can, listen, I use this translation on purpose. He can be depended on. I love that wording, depended on. To forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. Every wrong. Every wrong. And it is perfectly proper for God to do this for us because Christ died to wash away our sins. We don't have to be afraid to go back to Jesus. And I know there are times where we are. I know there are times where we'll sit there and, and go, oh, I, 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 but I've done this and I've done that and, 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 and God's not really going to love me anymore. And God's not. Listen, hear me here. That is a lie from the pit of hell. When you turn and you go back to him, he is waiting there with open arms. If the worship team wants to come up, we're going to close. And there's a story that just perfectly illustrates this. And again, I know it's one we've heard a lot. But sometimes I wonder. You know, we don't, we don't always get exact times and dates, if this makes sense, in the parables of Jesus. And, and in the parable of the lost son, the, the prodigal son or the lost son finds himself in the pigsty feeding pigs and so hungry he wishes he could eat the food that he's feeding the pigs. And, and at some point, the scripture just basically says, he comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. Like, yeah, he comes to his senses. I wonder how many days he sat with the pigs. 
I wonder how many days he sat there and, and believed the lie that his father wouldn't accept him again. And, and I know he did. You know how I know? Because he sits there and he, he comes up with this, this scheme that I'm not good enough to be my father's son anymore, so maybe I can just be a servant. And human nature would indicate he probably sat there for a while trying to figure out how to come home. So he gets his speech all ready and he goes home and this is our God. He's looking. He's looking for a son. We don't know how long he was away. I I guarantee you it was probably months, maybe years. And every day, without missing a day, that father is looking his son. I bet you he woke up every morning and said, I wonder if today will be the day. I bet he prayed every day for his son. God, bring him home. Bring him back home. And every day he looked. And scripture is very clear in this. It says, while his son was a way off, now listen, I came from the Midwest. I don't know if you know what that means, but let me, let me give you the, the translation. That means he was way yonder out there. Okay? If my grandpa on his farm said, that cow's way off, that's, that's 20 acres down the road. You know what I'm saying? That's way off. And he sees his son. Listen, way off means he can't see him real well. Way off says he's been looking for him and he sees the outline of his son that looks very different from when he left. But he knows it's him. He knows it's his son. And the father doesn't sit there and tap his foot, wait for his son to come to him. Scripture says that his son, his father, while he was afar off, he runs to his son. I've talked about this before. Maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. Listen, you need to hear this. In Jesus' time, fathers don't run. When Jesus told this parable and the people heard that the father ran, their, their mouths dropped. What do you mean he ran? This totally revolutionized who God was to these people. And we've heard it so many times. It's just, oh yeah, whatever, the prodigal son. And he runs. He throws his arms around him. He begins to weep. The son begins to go off into his speech. Oh, oh I, can't, I can't get distracted. Father, I've sinned against God. And I've sinned against you and I'm no longer. And, he, and his father basically says, son, shut up. Put the robe on his shoulders. Put the ring on his hands. Put sandals on his feet. For my son that was gone, that was dead, is alive again. You see, that's the problem. We have that that prodigal son's mindset that basically says, you know, when I turn back, God's going to be disappointed. God's going to be upset. God's going to look at me and say, how could you? You're so wrong. God's going to look at you and say, I've been waiting for you to come home. I love you. You're mine. You know what's interesting? We talk this whole thing about courage. And you know what? It feels like it does take courage to turn around. But when we really understand who our Jesus is, who our God is, it shouldn't take any courage at all because of the promises we have. So no matter how long you've been gone, no matter what pig style you've been living in, God's invitation to you is just come home. As a nation, we just need to go home. As individuals, we just need to go home. As a church, we just need to go home. And be willing to turn and go home to him. So let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes because I told you from the beginning, you're gonna have to be honest. And listen, I think it's pretty clear that 
we need to turn to God as a nation, okay? So I'm not going to focus a lot on that during this time, but I think we all need to understand, we all need to be praying and seeking God for our country. But before that, we got to start with ourselves. So I'm going to ask you some questions that you need to be brave enough to answer honestly. First of all, do you know Jesus? Have you accepted him? Have you allowed him to forgive you, make you new? Have you allowed him to come wash you clean? Scripture tells us that when we accept him, all things are made new. The, the, the sin is wiped away. The, it, we are a new creation in him. So for some of us today, it may be time to accept him again. For others, we may need to be open and honest with ourselves a little bit and answer these questions. Are we as close as we used to be? Are we as passionate as we used to be? Is our prayer, our Bible reading, our fellowship time, are all these things, are they an indication of the closeness that we have? We've got to be open and honest. Because I truly believe that some of us this morning have been saved for a long, long time. But if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, you know, I left Jerusalem and I left Jesus behind. And I need to go back. And you know what? Going back to that story, Jesus is not hard to find. He's where he's always been. The prodigal never had to wonder, I wonder if dad's at home or I wonder if dad moved. He knew where to go. Jesus is here right now. You don't have to search. You don't have to wonder. He's here right now. And you can turn back to him with repentance, knowing you'll be forgiven. Knowing that he will make it all right. But you've got to be open and brave enough and courageous enough to turn back to him. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. If that's you, you just need to begin, I'm going to ask you to just begin to pray. That you just begin to turn. That you would just begin to call out to God and say, Father, Father, if I never have, I accept you right now. I accept your forgiveness, your love, your grace. I believe that Jesus was your son, that he came, he died, and he rose again for me. And he is Lord and King and God. And Father, I, I admit I'm not where I need to be. Father, I'm willing to say I, I've, I've kind of gone on my own little way for a while and I need to turn back. I need to turn to you again and allow you to do in me and through me what you desire to do. But I'm turning to you, not to things and other situations, but I'm turning to you because you are life. And Father, I pray that as we turn as individuals, as we turn as a church, as we turn as a community and as a nation, that Father, we know that you will hear our cries and heal our lands and forgive us of our sins. Father, I believe there is going to be a turning and there is going to be a shaking in this church and in this community and in this nation. And Father, I pray that it would start with me and us because we were willing to be courageous enough to turn back to you, to humble ourselves to do that. You're so good. We love you so much. Let's all stand. John is going to lead us in a closing chorus. Bring it all to peace. The storms surround.
Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. You're so good. You're so good. Listen, what we're going to do is I'm going to pray here in a moment. We'll we'll dismiss service, but I'm going to be over here, down kind of here in front, my left, your right. And if you want specific prayer about any of these things, okay, I'm going to be there. I'm going to wait, okay, and give you an opportunity if you want to join with me and, and allow me to pray with you and for you, okay? I just, I just feel like God's asking me to do that. So if there's anybody, and, and here's the thing, if it, even if it has nothing to do with the service, if there's just something God's placed on your heart that you need prayer for, I'm going to be down front after the service, okay? Come on up and let's pray, okay? Thank you. Father, we love you and we thank you. And God, we thank you that you are a God that encourages U-turns. You are a God who says to us, come home. I'm waiting for you. I'm ready for you. Come to me, all that are tired, all that are weary, and I'll give you rest. You are a God that encourages us to turn to you. And when we come with open arms, you welcome us home. And so, Father, no matter if we never have, no matter if we have before, but we're, we're kind of doing our own thing, or, or maybe we're just realizing, you know what? I've kind of been leaving Jesus at church and haven't been taking him with me home into my workplace. Whatever it is, God, that we would understand that, that we would come and we would repent and we would allow ourselves to turn back to you. Wherever we're at, Father, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. I love you guys that are online. We love you. We miss you. We hope you have a wonderful week. Guys, stay warm. It's cold out there. I'll be down front to pray with you if you need it. Have a great week.